and I'm reading verses 1 to 4. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. This is the word of God. Thank you. Well, it um, really is a privilege for me to be back here once again. Uh, almost a year to the day, actually, since I was here last time, because it was Mother's Day last year um, that we were here. So uh, it's great to see that the tradition of handing out the roses has continued. It's a really beautiful gesture. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers who are out there this morning, uh, including my lovely wife as well. Um, yeah, thanks so much for inviting us back. It's just great to be able to come here and to share with you a little bit about our journey. And it's also a privilege to me, for me to be able to continue on in this series, looking at the sending out of the 72. And I understand last week, uh, Joel looked at first three verses, is that right, mate? And um, in particular, focusing on that fact that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And this morning, my task is to look at one verse, and that's verse four. But um, before I get into that, uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is useful and it is true, and that it shows us your will for our lives. It tells us who we are, and it reveals your character and your goodness. God, we pray this morning as we come to it, as we explore this verse, Lord, that you would be speaking to us by the power of your spirit. Lord, we ask you to have your way with us here this morning. And I ask that, that my words would be yours and that you would work through them. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. When it comes to uh, packing for holidays or for travel, I think there are two types of people in the world. I think there are those who are super organized uh, and who like to travel lightly and efficiently. And there are those who pack at the last minute and who like to take everything they can, even if that's the kitchen sink. Now, if, if you're anything like my wife, Naomi, you're the type who likes to pack efficiently and travel lightly. You're super organized. You hate the last-minute rush. And so, kind of in the lead-up to, to going away on holidays, you put things, aside, put things aside, and you get ready. And you, you only want to pack things that you're guaranteed to use. You don't want anything that's superfluous. The less bags, the less stuff you take, the better. But if you're anything like me, you're the exact opposite of that. You pack at the last minute and you pack things just in case. Because my mantra is you just never know what you might need. And if you've got space, you may as well use it. <laughs> and so you just pack as much as you can. Uh, and most of the stuff you don't end up using anyway. I think my one saving grace is I think I do a pretty reasonable job of playing Tetris and putting it all in the car, um, which is, makes it all okay, I reckon. But suffice to say, I'm not the type of person who packs efficiently or who travels lightly. Now, you might be thinking, how on earth do Naomi and I make it work uh, with that kind of combination in our packing? But um, 
I guess by the grace of God. That's the only thing I can put it down to. Uh, surprisingly, we, we have uh, worked out um, how we, one another's work and, and we make it work pretty well. And so I think our future of travel with Global Interaction is going to be okay. But as we turn and return to Luke 10 this morning, and particularly we focus on verse 4, we see that Jesus in this context is calling his disciples to travel lightly, isn't he? And extraordinarily lightly, in fact. But of course, the context here is not holiday travel, is it? In fact, it seems as though the 72 disciples face anything but a relaxing time on their journey ahead. Jesus is sending them out on a particularly urgent and potentially dangerous mission trip into the villages on the road to Jerusalem to share the good news of the kingdom of God. And in verse 3, we heard that he tells the disciples that they are being sent out like lambs among wolves. This is no holiday. And this is the instruction that he gives them that we're going to dwell on today. He says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, just before we unpack this, I think it's important to point out that this is in no way a kind of a universal instruction for all Christians at all times. We can't really just take this verse in isolation and say, okay, if we're engaging on mission, we we shouldn't worry about resources or supplies at all. Uh, We should never stop to talk to anyone on the way to wherever we're headed. Now, this is a specific command in a specific context for this task that Jesus is calling his disciples to. But having said that, I think there are some really valuable insights in this command for the way in which we can, in which we should, go about mission. And this morning, I just want to unpack three things. There's probably 10 things we could look at, actually. But I want to look at three things that are wrapped up in this idea of what it means to travel light in mission. The first one I want to make is this, and I think it's a fairly obvious one, but a really important one. And that's that traveling light means depending on God. Traveling light in mission means depending on God. So when Jesus says, do not take a purse, a bag, or sandals, he's telling them that they've basically got to leave pretty much everything behind. They've got to leave behind their wallets. They've got to leave behind their bags that normally they would carry supplies in. And those bags were kind of a symbol of their independence and their their self-sufficiency. And they leave behind their sandals, which is probably a reference to a spare pair, uh, which were often needed on on long journeys. And he's saying, leave those behind. What's he doing here? He's calling them to go as they are. He's saying, ultimately, you need to depend on God, not yourselves. He's saying that God will actually provide for them. He will protect them. He will be with them every step of the way. He's saying, trust in God because he's got your back. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I would have found that message pretty hard to hear if I was one of the 72. For me, when it, when it comes to engaging a mission, and, and maybe when it comes to life in general, my default position, disposition is of self-reliance. I want to be well prepared, and I want to be well organized for every situation that I face. I'm kind of uncomfortable going into situations where like, I'm, I'm not in control, where I'm not sure what the outcome will be. And I'm not even talking about situations like the disciples were facing here where they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. I'm just talking about kind of not knowing the direction a conversation might go if I'm kind of opening myself up and sharing about my faith. And I I kind of get to this point where I have this potential opportunity to share. I walk through all the potential scenarios in my head and I think, you know, what if they say this? What if they ask that? Uh, What if they don't like what I have to say? What if I can't answer their questions? 
And sometimes those kind of questions and those worries can be so crippling that I end up hamstrung and, and can shy away from engagement altogether. But I'm pretty sure I'm not the only Christian who's had that struggle. I think for many of us, we do, we shy away from mission and we shy away from evangelism because we're fearful that we don't have what it takes, that we don't know the outcome. We feel that we're not ready. Like We can't just go as we are, can we? We need more time. We need more preparation. We need uh, resources. We need a particular gifting, whatever it might be. And so it's easier for us to simply kind of stay in our Christian bubble, isn't it? to come to church, to do Bible study, to to hang out with Christian friends. And it's easy, actually, for us to have no meaningful interaction with those who haven't yet experienced the joy of a relationship with Jesus. And I think one of the issues we face with this is that we have a, a trust issue. I mean, here's a question. Do you think the 72 disciples were ready when they went out on this mission? Do you think they had it all sorted out, that they knew how it was going to turn out? And yet here, Jesus calls them to to leave behind even basic supplies. He says, go, trust in God and depend on him. He goes before you. While they're like sheep among wolves, God is their shepherd. I want to confess to you this morning that um, the decision that Naomi and I have made to to go overseas and to serve uh, long-term with Global Interaction was a really, really difficult one for us to make. In the lead-up to this decision, I regularly ask myself, are we crazy in contemplating this? I mean, to leave behind such a beautiful and and safe country, to take our kids to a place where everything will be foreign. We won't know the language, where we might have to homeschool, uh, where we're not sure how we're going to have the capacity to do it. It's just a little nuts, isn't it? But the key for me in overcoming that fear was a, a moment in Kiama. Uh, in the middle of last year, it was a beautiful Saturday morning, and Naomi and I were down there for the weekend, just trying to discern where the Lord was leading us. And we'd taken an hour out to pray and to seek God separately, and I was standing on the rocks, uh, overlooking the water as the morning sun kind of glimmered off it. It was beautiful. And, and as I stood there, the words to a song came to my head. And it wasn't like I was trying to think of a song. It wasn't like I was singing at the time. But I really felt that these words were words from God. And he was speaking into my life with them. And this is what I heard. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, where my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Probably know that's the bridge to a song named Oceans. Um, And I'd sung that a bunch of times before. But at that moment, those words really pierced my heart and changed my life. See, I realized that nearly all my resistance in going overseas was because of the unknowns. It was because of the lack of control I would have. It was because I was worried about my family, our capability to do this. I don't see myself as an amazing evangelist by any means. And yet at that moment, I realized that it doesn't depend on my ability. It depends on God. And he simply calls us to, in humility, trust him. Trust that he will be faithful and he will be with us. After all, it's not our mission. It's his mission that we are participating in. And so I felt this strong conviction that God was calling us to be willing to go across literal borders 
and waters for the sake of Christ and for the sake of those who don't know him yet. And so I continued to pray for a while and then afterwards I kind of walked up the hill a bit and uh, sat down with Gnomes and told her what had happened. And the remarkable thing was that in that same hour God had spoken to her as well. And he'd spoken to her through the verse in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so we sat there looking at one another and said, Well, is this it? Have, have we made a decision? Do we need anything else? Do we need another sign to be sure that this is really where God is calling us? This is really where he's leading us? We said, No. We, we knew. He's calling us to go. And we just now had to take up that responsibility and step out in faith and trust in him, despite the fears and despite the unknowns. And, that, and that's why we're here today. The question for all of us is, are we all depending on God and being willing to step out in mission, whatever that might like, look like for us? If you're here this morning and, and you're a bit like me and, and the reason that sometimes you fail to participate in mission is because of fear and is because of the unknowns, this, this verse is a call for us to put our trust back in God and recognize that he is the one who is doing the work and we are just his vessels. So firstly, traveling light means depending on God. Secondly, I think traveling light in mission means embracing interdependent relationships. Embracing interdependent relationship. See, while ultimately I think the disciples were depending on God to meet their needs, they were also depending on the hospitality and provision of those to whom they were going. It seems as though God is going to provide for them through the people that they are trying to reach. And in this context, they're going to be depending on them for food and for shelter and for water, for their basic physical needs. Now, to us, that kind of sounds really counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean, when, I think when I feel, and maybe many of us feel, that if we're endeavouring to show the love of Christ to others, then we're the ones who should have all the resources that, that we should be providing, not only for ourselves, but potentially those to whom we go as well. And it's quite easy for us to get something of a, a saviour complex, to think that, that we're the only ones really with something to offer, and that we just need to kind of come in and, and fix everyone's problems to ultimately just show them Jesus. But the reality is there's actually a great power in humbling ourselves and being willing to firstly go to those who we're endeavouring to reach and secondly to accept the hospitality that they provide. And I think there's a whole bunch of reasons for this. Firstly, it shows that we're willing to meet them on their turf and in their terms. We're meeting them where they're at rather than asking them to come to us. Secondly, it breaks down barriers in relationships as we, we show that we're accepting them for who they are. We want to learn and understand what their lives look like, what their world looks like. Thirdly, I think it empowers them and it says to them, you know what, you actually have something to offer me as well. And finally, I think it allows us to develop something of an interdependent relationship. And by that, I mean a genuine friendship where there's give and there's take. And I think it's in that context where we have the best opportunity to actually share about the love of Christ. And if you think about the life of Jesus, isn't that the example that, that he sets as well? He was willing to spend time with, to eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners, the marginalized. And that's why the Pharisees called him a glutton and a drunkard. 
But he willingly accepted the friendship and the hospitality of those people in order that he might reach them. When we head out to the, the country in which God calls us, much of our first term will be dedicated to learning language and to learning culture. The idea is that, that we come in and in humility, we adopt the posture of a learner. And we rely on local people to teach us, firstly, how to speak their language, but also to teach us their customs and their culture and their worldview. We, we go there and we see what life is like for them. And I don't know, I guess the old school mentality was that that period of learning of language and culture is kind of, can be a little bit frustrating because it delays just getting to the, the real stuff, real ministry of, of sharing the gospel. But actually our prayer is that through that process, we will build authentic relationships with those on whom we are depending as learners. And then once we've gained kind of a reasonable grip on the language and we understand some of the bridges and some of the barriers that their culture and their worldview has to the gospel, our prayer is that then we'll have the capacity and the ability to share with them the love of Christ in a way that actually makes sense to them. And that has actually been the story of so many cross-cultural workers who have gone with global interaction. As they have developed these interdependent relationships, they have seen people come to faith. Just a couple of weeks ago, Naomi and I got a taste of, I guess, the challenge that this call is. The challenge of humbling yourself to, to, to make yourself dependent on someone else in whom you're trying to reach. We, we visited a, a Persian asylum seeker named Samira and a little two-year-old boy, Muhammad. They fled from Iran. And uh, we've recently become volunteers with an organization called Sydney Refugee Teams. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but they endeavor to love and to support uh, and share the gospel with asylum seekers who are in Sydney. And it was our first visit to this family, and we'd gone along with uh, a guy named Carl. Uh, and we arrived at this place, which was on a busy street corner, a very basic fibro home that they were renting. And Samira invited us into her home and we, we took our shoes off and, and just entered this really small living space of two kind of fairly cheap Persian rugs, a few cushions on the walls and a TV in the corner. She didn't have a lot of English and, and so she just beckoned for us to, to kind of sit in the corner. And, and so we, we did, we, we sat down cross-legged, uh, leaning against the wall and as we were kind of chatting about how surprisingly comfortable Persian rugs are, um, she then came out of the kitchen to where she'd gone and she brought us each a plate of food containing an apple, a mandarin and a banana. And we'd just eaten, it was one o'clock, but I was just overwhelmed with, with her hospitality. This is someone who has so, so little and yet she was willing to offer us this food. And so I felt, well, it's only right that we partake in something and so we each, I think, ended up eating one piece of fruit. I thought, okay, that's, that's fine, hopefully that's it. But over the course of the next hour, she proceeded to bring out a plate of chicken and rice for us to eat. She brought out juice. She brought out tea. And I don't think I've ever been more humbled in my life to see such hospitality from someone who, who just has so little. She herself for lunch just had a small bowl of rice and she fed her little boy something similar. As we left there, I actually felt a significant amount of guilt I thought to myself, you know, we're kind of meant to be trying to establish a relationship here so that we can help support this lady and her children and her husband as well. 
But as we debriefed a little, I realized that this, this offering of hospitality is a crucial part to her culture. And it would have brought her so much joy to just have us in her home, to be able to offer her us uh, this food, to sacrifice for us, that that would have meant so much to her. And I realized that, that even if we're endeavoring to reach people like asylum seekers who have so little, this building of authentic interdependent relationship is so crucial to our task as people who are trying to reach people for Christ. So as we apply that idea, I'm not saying that we should do as the 72 disciples did and go door knocking around our suburb, inviting kind of ourselves in. Um, as I think our culture is quite different to the first century when it comes to hospitality. But I want to ask is, if you get an invite by a colleague or a neighbor or a friend, do you, do you just jump at that opportunity to spend time with them in their space and in their, their world? Or, or do you shy away saying, oh, you know, it's not my thing. Uh, or I don't necessarily get along with, with their friends that well. Are we going to be willing to humble ourselves, to put ourselves, our own interests, and to engage with people on their terms and in their space? Are we going to follow the example of Christ that he set in that, going to people where they're at rather than expecting them to come to us? It's challenging, isn't it? So traveling lightly in mission firstly means we've got to depend on God. Secondly, I think it means we need to build interdependent relationships. And finally, traveling light in mission requires a new sense of urgency. It recognizes the urgency in our task. Here, it's highlighted by Jesus' command not to greet anyone along the road. Again, at first glance, this seems a little bit strange, doesn't it? It almost seems like Jesus is telling the disciples to be rude and just ignore people they come across on the way to their destination. But I'm not sure that's quite what is happening here. What Jesus is doing, I think, is he's using deliberate exaggeration to highlight that this particular mission that they're on is urgent. They need to focus all their energy on the task at hand by specifically going into these towns and into these homes and sharing the good news with the people there. And the reality of first century culture was that these kind of casual greetings along the road actually took quite a, a good, decent amount of time. They would involve rest and refreshment, and they were great uh, for the average traveler, but if you were on an urgent errand, they were something of a distraction. And I don't think it actually meant that they were to completely ignore the people they met on the road, but it, it did mean that they were to be so focused on the mission of the harvest that they didn't get spend a lot of time being caught up in traditional greeting practice. And I think we know that that sense of urgency isn't something that was unique to the mission of the 72. So the reality was that this urgency in mission is all throughout the story of the early church. If you read the book of Acts, it's so clear, isn't it? It's the story of the rapid expansion of Christianity as Jesus' disciples are empowered by the Holy Spirit and they go into the, all the world to fulfill the commission that he had given them to make disciples of all nations. The story of the early church is a story of a people who sought to share the gospel with urgency. The question for us is, do we have that same sense of urgency? And if so, how is it evident? Um, well over a year ago, 
Uh, we visited a, a team in Southeast Asia, the Global Interaction Team there. Um, and it was a great time. We spent a month there, and it was a key part, kind of one of the pieces of the puzzle that, that led us to this point where we're at now. There was one thing that stood out to us about the members of that team and how they went about their day-to-day lives. You see, in many ways, their lives look kind of very similar to ours. They're actually working pretty regular jobs, teaching and managing at a language school for some, uh, running a cafe for others. But the key difference that I noticed between them and between many of us here back in Oz is that they are intentional and they have a sense of urgency when it comes to sharing about their faith and showing the love of Christ to those that they come in contact with. In their catch-up meetings, they share about the individuals that they've had even really small conversations with, even little windows where they feel that there might be an opening. And they pray earnestly for those that they are in relationship with. They're, They're always eager, they're always ready, and they're always willing to share about the hope that they have. That's what their life is about. And they do that in a context where the people can be highly resistant to the, go- to the gospel and where, where persecution and even deportation are potential prospects. Now, I guess you could say that as a cross-cultural missionary, well, that's expected of you, right? That's why you're there in the first place. But I'm utterly convinced that the New Testament teaches that all who follow Jesus... We all need to have this same intentionality and the same urgency in the way we go about our lives. It's so easy for us here in Oz to, to get absorbed in just the way general Australians go about life, isn't it? Just family, work, hobbies, ministry, our own stuff. That we forget that we also have an urgent mission to carry out. We keep ourselves so busy sometimes that we, we don't have time for people really. And by the time we do church, Bible study, all that stuff, most of the relationships we have are with Christians and not with those who don't yet know Jesus. And so, the question for us this morning is this. What is it going to look like for us to begin to travel light and make the mission of God a priority in our lives? Are we going to become a people who are committed to praying for those around us? For the people at our work, in our sports teams, in our caravan clubs, our neighbours, for the nations. Are we going to ask God to lead us and provide us with opportunities to share with the words to say so that we might show his love to the world? Are we going to trust him, depend on him for the capacity to do it? Are we going to enter the worlds who don't know Christ and in humility establish interdependent friendships with them? so that we can share the hope that we have and so that we can learn from them as well? Are we going to trust God with our finances and willingly partner with people and organisations who are going to places where we cannot? Or are we even going to open ourselves to the possibility that God might be calling us to go across borders and waters and to reach those who wouldn't otherwise hear the gospel? We're all called to be missionaries. It's just a matter of where and how we do that. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I don't know about you, but when I look around my street and my suburb, my state, 
my nation, my world. I see so many people that are yet to experience the joy and freedom of knowing Jesus. And the question is, what, what are we going to do about it? Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you now. And we recognize that there is a call on our lives to show your love and to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't yet know you. And Lord, we confess that so often we, we shy away from this. We are fearful, uh, we are busy, and we don't make it a priority in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us the capacity to do this, Lord that you would inspire us and motivate us and help us to, to sharpen one another and spur one another on as we seek to reach those around us. I pray for, for this church, Lord, for Erina, that, that they would be a light to those in this suburb and on the central coast. Lord, I pray that for, for my church. I pray that for Christians all across our country and all across the world. Lord, help us to depend on you. Help us to be humble and to get to know people in their space, to build relationship with them. Help us to recognise that there is urgency in this, that you want everyone to come to know you. Lord God, we commit ourselves into your hands and pray that we wouldn't go away from here and do nothing, but that we would find ways to reach the lost. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.